Turkey, China, North Korea, and Russia all gang up on poor Uncle Sniffendiddle as we sit back and debate which foreign theater we go into for war next. But don't worry, guys. He's going to try and convince Mexico not to send their migrants to our border anymore with a little bit of smooth vaccine diplomacy. I really hope you guys bought that because I couldn't even believe myself as I was saying that out here. In other news, the House of Representatives debates whether or not to eject one of its confirmed members because of discretion, um, sorry, discrepancies rather, that they saw in the former election. So we'll talk a bit about that. Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci go back and forth with each other over masks and the extended game of Fauci says. So we'll talk a bit about that. And the House has approved awarding congressional medals to the Capitol Police officers because, hey, now they like cops. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. All right, everyone, which uh, which theater do you think we're going into first? Do you think it is going to be North Korea? Do you think we're going to China? Is it going to be Russia? Are we going to go take on Turkey once again here? I want to see <clears throat> what you guys think in the live chat here as to which theater you think that we're going into first. And I want to read the live chat at the end of the show today, too. So remember, if your comment is sufficiently stupid or bigoted or hateful or whatever else label they try to hold over my head to try and get me shut down off the air, get it in there because it'll get read on the air and it will definitely raise the mental capacity of this show here. I do have everybody's name from the past week written down in here, even the bots. We do have the bots. I've got them in here too because bots give me free views too. So absolutely we'll read their names in here as well. And they'll go beep beep. He thanked me for putting a link up in his chat. All right, man, I look like a puffball right now. It's for charity. But you can tell the humidity is starting to come up in this place here. So it's going to be all of this and more over on the, I'm sorry, this is not the Red Net Show. This is Contemporary. It's going to be all this and more over on Contemporary this morning here. And we'll get right into it. But before we get into any of this, head on over, check out my friends at the Freedom Scoop Media Group. Our new website premieres on April 17th. With the advent of the 24-hour live stream that I am doing for Suicide Prevention Charity, I've got some great guests that have confirmed and said that, yes, they are going to be coming in and hanging out with us. I'm very excited with the lineup that we have there. I'm very excited to see what comes on with that. And the people who are going to be coming along, I'm really excited to see the show come off and see if it can go off without a hitch here. We'll see how many times Spectrum kicks my internet back off because that's going to be the big argument that goes along with that. What do you think? Maybe... 12 times, once every two hours they'll kick me off, I don't know, but we'll talk about that there. But while we are waiting and finishing off the website, head on over and check out my friends, The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The R-Rated Conservative, The Freckles and Brick Show, and The Breakdown with Birkenhoff. Once the website is up, you will have a great place where you can aggregate all of those great content creators, but they're still great people, and I do advise that everybody go and check them out. I don't know who's going to choose what here, but also keep in mind tonight we will have the Freckles and Brit show, the Generational Gap, most likely the Daily Ignoramus and the R.A. Conservative will all be streaming at the same time, so... Wait, no, RRC doesn't stream on Friday nights anymore. Well, we still got the three, but, uh, well, you'll have someone to check out here, definitely, but 
head on over there and bookmark the page. And once we get back up, you'll have swag and you can pick some of it up and help us support great creators. All right, let's look in at the finance for the day here. The Dow fell. It kind of had a little bit of an upswing and then it just kind of crashed out towards the end here as we once again looked at the fact that uh, we're looking back at interest rates climbing and now those are coming back here because, I mean, the government never would manipulate the currency, right? That's something we blame on China. But looks like the government may be manipulating currency here to see what comes back out of this to try and prop some of the markets up here. We will see what happens with that, but... There is the chart from yesterday looking at Bitcoin. Bitcoin has gone up now. We are back to 58,972 US dollars per Bitcoin. Did you buy the dip? Because it's coming back up here and it's probably going to crash back down as we look a little bit more onto this here, but we're sitting at a new what I'm thinking might be steady. I think that I was wrong when I said 48 to 52 and now I'm thinking maybe it's going to stay 58 to 62. Just kind of looking at the patterns that we're seeing here. So... We'll see what the pattern does, and we'll see where it goes from there. Gas this morning in Madison, Woodman's in Madison proper is at 253. That is the lowest. Uh, the quick trip in Madison proper, which I didn't realize. Oh, yeah, there are quick trips in Madison proper because they bought out Speedway. So uh, the quick trip in Madison proper is also at 253. 253 seems to be the benchmark today. Looks like we had one go back down to 252, but 255 is also... Uh, sort of holding steady here. So that's what's happening up in Madison, Wisconsin. I saw, actually, because I had to go down to Illinois for work, I had to fill up uh, one of the work vehicles in Illinois at 3.09 a gallon. Don't drive in Illinois if you can avoid it. Wow, I couldn't believe that. All right. Let's see what the financiers have to say from Investor's Business Daily. Oh, look. They locked me out. Oh, look, I archived their ass. Let's get rid of that. Dow Jones futures rise as Treasury yields retreat after NASDAQ breaks support. Tesla Apple hit resistance from Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures and S&P 500 futures rose slightly Friday morning, while NASDAQ futures rose modestly as the 10-year Treasury yield pulled back from its 52-week highs. The stock market rally had a tough session Thursday. The Dow fell modestly while the Nasdaq dived below key support as Apple stock, Tesla, and many other techs tumbled from resistance areas. Soaring treasury yields were the trigger Thursday, though a new COVID shutdown in France and plunging crude oil prices didn't help. Investors should largely steer clear of tech stocks while investing prudently in other rising sectors. Did I just see plunging oil prices? Well, it's not happening here, but uh, we will see if that comes back and hit because that's going to be the next daily segment that we have all the time here is what the gas is going to be. So, hey, maybe we'll see some hope. Maybe we'll see some oil prices come down and people start to go back and drive again. The heating season is starting to come to an end, too. Keep that in mind. So that might also start to drive some of the prices down, but we will see. FedEx and Nike headlined earnings after the close. FedEx earnings were better than expected, with EPS and sales growth accelerating for a third straight quarter. FedEx stock rose 5% in pre-market trade after dipping 0.9% to 263.51 on Thursday. Nike earnings beat while revenue fell short. Nike stock sank 2% early Friday off overnight lows. The Dow Jones giant fell 1.1% on Thursday to 143.17. Nike stock has a 148.05 buy point. 
Meanwhile, some big tech and growth stocks hit resistance, with the Nasdaq under pressure again. A few examples include Tesla, PayPal, Pinterest, NVIDIA, Apple, and Twilio. Volkswagen, which had become greatly extended amid euphoria for its big EV push, plunged 15% even now. Volkswagen AGY is 18.5% above its 10-day line. Williams-Sonoma broke out Thursday, surging 18.5%. Williams-Sonoma stock gapped out at a base on strong earnings and guidance, as well as dividend hike and buyback. PayPal and NVIDIA stock are on the IBD leaderboard. PayPal stock is on IBD long-term leaders. Tesla, PayPal, and Williams-Sonoma are on the IBD 50. Pinterest stock is on the big cap 20 on the futures. Dow Jones futures were 0.1% above fair value, so they're starting to come back up a little bit. S&P 500 futures rose 0.3%. NASDAQ 100 futures climbed 0.5%. The Biden administration's first high-level meeting with China got off to a rocky start. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and his Chinese counterpart exchanged sharp barbs to one another in opening statements before the media. No results are expected from private discussions, but it does indicate that two superpowers will continue to have a rocky relationship on a range of issues. The 10-year Treasury yield fell three basis points to 168. Crude futures turned slightly negative. And remember, as always, Dow uh, overnight action rather in Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. All right, so that's what we will see from that here. Let's see what CNBC has to say about this. NASDAQ tumbles 3% as soaring yields hit tech shares. S&P 500 closes 1.5% lower. Yeah, the Dow went down after going up and staying up above board for most of the day there, but I didn't show the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 uh, charts, and they stayed below the previous close for the entire day. They got close to breaking even, but they stayed down below, so they got hammered yesterday. This is from Yoon Lee and Thomas Frank. Technology shares led the U.S. stock market lower on Thursday as a spike in bond yields fueled concern about equity valuations and prompted investors to sell growth-focused high flyers. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 3% to 13,116.17 for its worst day since February 25th, as Apple, Amazon, and Netflix all fell more than 3%. Tesla slipped nearly 7%. The S&P 500 slid 1.5% to 39,15.46, falling from a record-closing high reached in the previous session. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 153.07 points, or point oh a half a percent. Let's just say, let's get the points out of there, to 32.862.30 after hitting a new intraday record earlier in the day amid a rally in bank stocks. The 10-year Treasury yield jumped 11 basis points above 1.75% to its session high, reaching its highest level since January of 2020. The 30-year rate also climbed 6 basis points at one point breaching the 2.5% level for the first time since August of 2019. The jump in bond yields came after the Federal Reserve expressed its willingness to allow an overshoot in inflation. Rising rates can have an outsized impact on growth stocks as they make their futures returns seem less valuable today. Risk of rates rising too fast remains a key concern, said Craig Johnson, technical market strategist at Piper Sandler. Buying pressure has not been equal over the last several weeks as growth stocks lag behind due to headwinds from higher interest rates.
Bank stocks outperformed as higher interest rates tend to improve their profit margins. Banks can earn more from the widening gap between the rate they borrow at in the short term and the rate they lend out at in the long term. U.S. Bank Corp. and Wells Fargo popped 3.3% and 2.4%, respectively. J.P. Morgan jumped 1.7%, while Bank of America, yeah, we already saw and talked about Bank of America, gained 2.6%. So, a lot of stuff going on here over the week, or going into the weekend here. The futures for the weekend, is that's going to be a messy, messy futures. And I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about on... Uh, on Monday for this here, but we got to talk about the big news here and decide which foreign theater we are going to be going into coming up next. Starting with CNN. Russia reacts angrily after Biden calls Putin a killer. From Anna Chernova, Zara Ola, and Rob Pichetta. The Kremlin has reacted angrily to U.S. President Joe Biden's remarks that Russian leader Vladimir Putin is a killer, calling the comment unprecedented and describing the relationship between the two countries as very bad. Yeah, that's a good starting point for diplomacy. Putin on Thursday nevertheless invited Biden to hold open online talks in the wake of the remarks. In an interview with ABC that aired on Wednesday, Biden said Putin will pay a price for his efforts to undermine the 2020 U.S. election following a landmark American intelligence assessment that found the Russian government meddled in the 2020 election with the aim of denigrating Biden's candidacy. You know, that was what denigrated Biden's candidacy and not the I got hairy legs that turned blonde in the sun. When interviewer George Stephanopoulos asked Biden if he thought Putin was a killer, the president said, Mm-hmm, I do. Responding to the comments, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov told reporters on Thursday that there hasn't been anything like this in history. He said it was clear that Biden definitely does not want to improve relations with Russia and that the relationship between the two countries is very bad. When asked how it can affect the relations, Peskov said, it is absolutely clear how, but refused to elaborate. These are very bad statements by President of United States. He definitely does not want to improve relations with us, and we will continue to proceed from this, Peskov said. Putin himself responded Thursday, saying, I would like to offer President Biden to continue our discussion, but on condition that we'll do so what is called live, online without anything pre-recorded, in an open and direct discussion. It seems, it seems to me this would be interesting for both Russian people and U.S. people, as well as for many other countries, Putin added. Russia state media TASS reported Putin has invited Biden to hold the discussion on Friday or Monday. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki circled back and weighed in on the invitation that she wasn't sure if the call would be something the administration would entertain. <clears throat> I want to see it. I'm sure you guys want to see it. I'll, uh, I'll have to get back to you and circle back if that's something that we are, we're entertaining. I would say that the president's already had a conversation already with President Putin. Um, even as if there were, as there are more world leaders that he has not yet engaged with, Saki said during a press briefing. And we engage 
with uh, Russian leaders, um, members of the government at, at um, all levels. But I don't have anything to report to you in terms of a future meeting. I, I'll have to circle back on this. The Russian leader previously reacted to the comments by wishing Biden good health at a news conference. It's true. We really know each other personally. What would I answer him? I would tell him, be healthy, Putin said. I wish him good health. I say this without irony. No jokes. This is first of all. When we evaluate other people, states and nations, we always seem to be looking in mirror. We always see ourselves. We always pass on to another person what we ourselves in essence, Putin added. In childhood, we argued with each other. We said, he who calls names is called that himself. This is no coincidence. This is not just childish joke. It has very deep psychological meaning. Saki said earlier Thursday that Biden had no regrets about his comments, saying, nope, the president gave a direct answer to a direct question. When pressed on whether the killer language was constructive for the U.S.-Russia relationship, Saki declined to say. President Biden has known President Putin for a long time. They've both been on the global stage for a long time, worked through many iterations of the relationship between the U.S. and Russia, and he believes we can continue to do that. And I'll circle back the next question, please. So, yeah, they're, uh, they're not happy with each other. <clears throat> so... We will see what happens with that here. I've got one from Reuters. Did you guys know you can experience the new Reuters? Well, I don't care about the new Reuters. Unless they start giving me ad block uh, blocking. And then they'll just get archived anyway. Turkey's Erdogan says Biden comments on Putin unacceptable from Reuters staff. Turkish President, uh, President rather, Tayyip Erdogan said on Friday that the U.S. President Joe Biden's comments about Russia's Vladimir Putin, in which he called him a killer, were unacceptable and not fitting of a president. <clears throat> in a TV interview broadcast on Wednesday, Biden said, I do, when asked if he believed Putin was a killer, prompting diplomatic ties to sink to a new low. Putin later responded that he who said it did it. Edgar and Washington are NATO allies, though Erdogan and Biden have yet to speak since Biden became president. And uh, when you've gone and pissed Erdogan off, I think you've usually gone too far off of this one here. But Erdogan also has to sit back and think about the fact that if I remember my Middle East and Asian geography correctly, Turkey is, they share a border with Russia, don't they? If not Russia, then one of the Slavic states that Russia is probably going to annex in order to fight a harder war. So that's got the potential to directly affect uh, affect his country. And even if they don't share a border, that's going to be, especially if they're NATO allies, a very strategic launching point to go back into Russia if they do decide that they need to go back and forth after each other. So we'll see what happens with that. From the Associated Press. U.S. and China spar in first face-to-face -face meeting under Biden, from Matthew Lee and Mark Thiessen. Top U.S. and Chinese officials offered sharply different views of each other and the world on Thursday as the two sides met face-to-face -face for the first time since President Biden took office. Is it really the first time? Well, maybe face-to-face. -face. Come on, man, just 
Just give me my hunter money, okay? I, I'm, I, I got my kid in there. He, he's doing stuff in your country. No, that doesn't happen. Of course there's nothing on that laptop. In unusually pointed public remarks for a staid diplomatic meeting, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Chinese Communist Party Foreign Affairs Chief Yang Jiechi took aim at each other's uh, country's policies at the start of the two days of talks in Alaska. The contentious tone of their public comments suggested the private discussions would be even more rocky. The meetings in Anchorage were a new test in increasingly troubled relations between the two countries, which are at odds over a range of issues from trade to human rights in Tibet, Hong Kong, and China's western Xinjiang region, as well as over Taiwan, China's assertiveness in the South China Sea, and the coronavirus pandemic. Blinken said the Biden administration is united with its allies in pushing back against China's increasing authoritarianism and assertiveness at home and abroad. Yang then unloaded a list of Chinese complaints about the U.S. and accused Washington of hypocrisy for criticizing Beijing on human rights and other issues. Each of these actions threatened the rules-based order that maintains global stability, Blinken said of, uh, of China's actions in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, and of cyber attacks on the U.S. and economic coercion against U.S. allies. That's why they're not merely internal matters, and that's why we feel an obligation to raise these issues here today. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan amplified the criticism, saying China has undertaken an assault on basic values. We do not see conflict, but we welcome stiff competition, he said. Yang responded angrily by demanding U.S. stop pushing its own version of democracy at a time when the U.S. itself has been roiled by domestic discontent. He also accused the U.S. of failing to deal with its own human rights problems and took issue with what he said was condescension from Blinken. Sullivan and other U.S. officials. We believe it is important for the U.S. to change its own image and stop advancing its own democracy in the rest of the world, he said. Hold on, am I about to agree with somebody in China? Well, I guess stranger things have happened. Many people within the U.S. actually have little confidence in the democracy of the United States. China will not accept unwarranted accusations from U.S. side, he said, adding that recent developments have plunged relations into a period of unprecedented difficulty that has damaged the interests of our two people. There's no way to strangle China, he said. Blinken appeared to be annoyed by his tenor and the length of the comments, which went on for more than 15 minutes. He said his impressions from speaking with world leaders and on his just-concluded trip to Japan and South Korea were entirely different from the Chinese position. I'm hearing deep satisfaction that the U.S. is back and that we're re-engaged, Blinken retorted. I'm also hearing deep concern about some of the actions your government is taking. Underscoring the animosity, the State Department blessed the Chinese delegation for violating an agreed-upon two-minute time limit for opening statements and suggested it seemed to have arrived intent on grandstanding, focusing on public theatrics and dramatics over substance. You know, like progressives do in Congress. America's approach will be undergirded by confidence in our dealings with Beijing. Okay. Which we are doing from a position of strength. Okay. Even as we have the humility to know that we are a country eternally striving to become a more perfect union, it said. So, 
that's what happened in Alaska. So not only did China come back out and wave the saber and insult the U.S., but they did it in Anchorage on U.S. soil. Isn't that fun? Is Uncle Sniffin Diddle even there? I don't see him in the picture here. I just, and we heard about Blinken and the uh, Chinese guy, but I don't see, I don't see the sniffer. Where is he? I don't know. But we got to keep going. From CNBC, once again, North Korea says it won't restart nuclear discussions until the U.S. drops its hostile policies. From Amanda Macias, a top North Korean official said Pyongyang will not respond to numerous invitations to restart nuclear discussions until the U.S. drops its hostile policies. Yeah, you know who he wouldn't say that to? You know what? I'm not even going to say his name. We have already declared our stand that no DPRK U.S. contact and dialogue of any kind can be possible unless the U.S. rolls back its hostile policy toward DPRK. First Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs Cho San Hui, according to a statement released by state-run Korean Central News Agency on Thursday. Cho added that the Biden administration initiated contact in February and has since sent multiple emails, phone calls, messages through a third country, Dear Kim, I called you, but you still ain't calling. I left my home phone and my pager number at the bottom. She described the attempts at contact as a cheap uh, trick for building up public opinion. The statement comes as Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin wrapped their first overseas trip under the Biden leadership. The pair traveled to Japan and South Korea in an effort to re reaffirm U.S. commitments in the region and discuss ongoing security challenges. Coinciding with Blinken and Austin's arrival in Asia, the powerful sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un issued an eerie message to the U.S. We take this opportunity to warn the new U.S. administration trying hard to give off gunpowder smell in our land. Kim, uh, Kim Yo-jong rather said in a statement referencing joint U.S. and South Korean military exercises in the region. If the U.S. wants to sleep in peace for the coming four years, it had better refrain from causing a stink in the first step, she added according to an English translation. Yeah, that's going to be fun to see what happens with that. And... You know, along with that, you would think that some of the people in the administration would say, okay, well, let's see what we can do to try and pull some of this shit down. And that's not what happened. Let's read here from the New York Post. Defense Secretary Austin to North Korea. U.S. is ready to fight tonight. That's what we wanted to read today. That's exactly what we wanted to see. Given the fact that we have no idea how actually nuclear capable North Korea is. Oh. This is from Jesse O'Neill. 
Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin warned Thursday that American forces are ready to fight tonight in response to North Korea slamming drills resuming between U.S. and South Korea. The U.S. and South Korean forces have resumed military drills after pausing the exercises more than a year ago over the coronavirus concerns. Our force remains ready to fight tonight and we continue to make progress towards the eventual transition of wartime operational control to a Republic of Korea commanded future combined forces command, Austin said. While meeting all the conditions for this transition, we take more time. I'm confident that this process will strengthen our alliance, the defense secretary continued. Austin Secretary of State Anthony Blinken arrived in Japan Monday for a four-day trip aimed at reiterating America's commitment to allies in the region. Washington-led diplomacy efforts focused on denuclearizing North Korea have remained stalled over sanctions disputes. Experts are weighing a potential compromise that would freeze the dictatorship's nuclear activities in exchange for relaxing sanctions. Yeah, how's that working out for you? We are committed to the denuclearization of North Korea, reducing the broader threat the DPRK poses to the U.S. and its allies, and improving the lives of all Koreans, including the people of North Korea, who continue to suffer widespread and systemic abuses at the hands of their repressive government, Austin said at a press conference Thursday. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I want to say, if I want to convince a short, fat, crazy man. To tone it down a little bit. That's exactly how I would lead that conversation. The sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un rebuked the Biden administration earlier this week while slamming the war drills, which Pyongyang views as an invasion rehearsal. And we read that quote already. So yeah, that's, there we go. And we talked about this, and I tweeted out right before we started, and I want to get your answers for this. Are we going to go to war in Russia? Are we going to do it in Myanmar? How about China? Do you think we're going to do it in China? Hey, maybe we'll go back to the Middle East. What do you think about that? Or are we going to go to war with North Korea? Return to normalcy, folks. One more on the foreign theater, then we got to focus on what's happening here. From the Associated Press again, after North Korea cuts ties, Malaysia ordered its diplomats out. By Yung Jin Kim and Eileen Ng. Malaysia said Friday it will order all North Korean diplomats to leave the country within 48 hours, an escalation of diplomatic brawl over Malaysia's move to extradite a North Korean suspect to the United States for Money laundering charges. Malaysia's announcement came hours after North Korea said it was terminating diplomatic ties with Malaysia because it committed a super large hostile act. In subservience to the U.S. pressure, North Korea called the money laundering charges an absurd fabrication and a sheer plot orchestrated by the U.S. and warned Washington it will pay a due price. Its latest development in a growing animosity between Washington and Pyongyang as the North ramps up pressure on the Biden administration over a nuclear standoff. Ties between North Korea and Malaysia have been virtually frozen since the slaying in 2017 of the estranged half-brother of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un at Kuala Lumpur International Airport. Malaysia's foreign ministry denounced North Korea's move as unfriendly and unconstructive and said the government will order all diplomatic staff and their dependents at the North Korean embassy to leave Malaysia within 48 hours. 
It added that Malaysia was also compelled by North Korea's decision to shut its own embassy in Pyongyang. Foreign Minister Hishamuddin Hussein tweeted that all Malaysian diplomats in North Korea had returned after the embassy's operations were suspended in 2017. The ministry said Malaysia had sought to strengthen ties with North Korea even after the deplorable assassination of Kim Jong-nam in 2017 and that Pyongyang's decision was clearly unwarranted, disproportionate, and certainly disruptive for regional peace and stability. You guys got any popcorn? Because this is going to get interesting. This is definitely going to get interesting as we see over here. Uh, Malaysia and Korea going back and forth after each other. Korea and us. Korea and China. I'm sorry. Yeah, probably Korea and China too as we go along with this. Korea and Japan. Us and China. Myanmar. Because nobody's talked. Well, we talked a little bit about that earlier in the week. But uh, yeah, it's all going off over in uh, the South Central region. And China is just continuing to put its navy up over in that region. So they might get allies at the barrel of a gun. Don't worry, guys. We're going to get a return to normalcy, though. All right, let's see. From MSN News, uh, the New York Times via MSN News, which is nice because I don't have to uh, archive this. A little bit of foreign news on our side of the world, though. U.S. to send millions of COVID-19 vaccine doses to Mexico and Canada. From Natalie Kitroef, Maria Abi Habib, Zolan Cano Youngs, and Jim Tankersley. So at first, looking at this, all you see is just the U.S. doing vaccine diplomacy with Mexico and Canada. But once you start reading between the lines, you realize what it is that they're trying to do with this. <clears throat> the U.S. plans to send millions of doses to the AstraZeneca vaccine. To Mexico and Canada, the White House said Thursday, a notable step into vaccine diplomacy, just as the Biden administration is quietly pressing Mexico to curb the stream of migrants coming to the border. And that's it, right there. Biden comes out and says, well... Biden doesn't come out and say anything because he doesn't know where he is. But uh, the Biden admin comes out and says, just Mr. Mexican president, please just just keep the immigrants over there for a little while. We can't handle this. We have no idea what the fuck to do. We promised all these people a bunch of free shit, but we, we can't handle it. Help. Help, please. Please. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said the U.S. was planning to share 2.5 million doses of the vaccine with Mexico and 1.5 million with Canada. Everybody, every adult in the U.S. will be able to get their vaccine by May 1st. Adding that it was not finalized yet, but that is our aim. Tens of millions of doses of the vaccine have been sitting in American manufacturing sites, while their use has already been approved in dozens of countries, including Mexico and Canada. The vaccine has not yet been authorized by American regulators. Ms. Saki said the shipments to Mexico and Canada would essentially be a loan, with the U.S. receiving dozens of AstraZeneca or other vaccines in the future. What are we getting back from it? How is it a loan? If all the manufacturing, I thought all the manufacturing was done here. The announcement of the vaccine distribution came at a critical time in negotiations with Mexico. President Biden has moved quickly to dismantle some of former President Trump's signature immigration policies, halting construction of a border wall. It's a great and glorious wall, okay? It is the best wall. And I'm going to put Trump right on it. 
so you know that it was built by me, your favorite president, okay? Stopping the swift expulsion of children at the border and proposing a pathway to citizenship for mi uh, millions of immigrants in the United States. But he is clinging to a central element of Mr. Trump's agenda, relying on Mexico to restrain a wave of people making their way into the United States. Anticipating a surge of migrants and the most apprehensions by American agents at the border in two decades, Mr. Biden asked President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador of Mexico in a video call this month whether more could be done to help solve the problem, according to Mexican officials and other person briefed in the conversation. The two presidents also discussed the possibility of the U.S. sending Mexico some of its surplus vaccine supply. A senior Mexican official said Mexico has publicly asked the Biden administration to send its doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. So, please, please, man, just just hold the people there for a little while longer because we don't know what to do. 729%. We had to open a convention center to hold all your people in there. Which, under Trump, that would be called an internment camp by itself, but... Ah, uh, this is this administration's getting off to a great start. All right, let's talk about some other news going on in this country here. Uh, let's see. Just first off, we'll start with a little gaffe from President Biden himself, old Uncle Sniff and Diddle. Let's have a listen to what that sounds like. The hardest hit and suffered the most especially black, Latino, Native American, and rural communities. This is really important because we believe that speed and efficiency must be matched with fairness and equity. Now, when President Harris and I took uh, a virtual tour of a vaccination center in Arizona, now, when President Harris and I took fairness and equity, now, when President Harris and I took uh, a virtual tour of a vaccination center in Arizona not long ago, one of the nurses on that, on that tour, injecting people, giving vaccinations, said that each shot was like administering a dose of hope. A dose of hope. That's how she phrased it. Behind these 100 million shots, are millions of lives changed when people receive that dose of hope. Now when President Harris and I took Now when President Harris and I Now when President Harris and I took Now when President Harris and I took President Harris What do you think is going on behind the scenes you guys? Let's keep going from CNN this is an interesting story. I uh, heard about this from the R-rated conservative last night, and uh, definitely something to look into here because this may change the way that we look at the presidential election too, if they actually manage to pull this off. But I would, this is close to constitutional crisis level here for me. Um, from CNN, House Democrats weigh ejecting GOP winner of contested Iowa race, dismissing comparisons to Trump's efforts to overturn the election. From Alex Rogers and Manu Raju. 
House Democrats are undeterred by the mounting GOP criticism over their review of a contested congressional race that could potentially overturn a state-certified Republican victory in southeast Iowa, brushing back attacks that they're seeking to subvert the will of the voters just months after lambasting former President Trump for trying to reverse his electoral defeat. While Democrats say what's happening in Iowa's 2nd Congressional District is nothing like Trump's lies about widespread fraud and stolen election that ultimately led to the January 6th attack on the Capitol riot citation needed, please. They are aware of the optics of potentially booting out a member of Congress from the opposing party who was declared the winner by uh, bipartisan state election officials. Maryland Democratic Rep. Jamie Raskin, because why would it be anybody other than Jamie Raskin who led the House's impeachment case against Trump after the... They're actually going to call it a fucking insurrection again. After the selfie fest. Said the bar for overturning the House election has the same high standard invoked by the presidential race. He said the challenger, Iowa Democrat Rita Hart, has the statutory burden of proof to sustain... The critical thing is when you go to a judicial forum, bring some proof, bring some evidence with you, Raskin told CNN. In November, Iowa's election officials certified Republican Marinette Miller-Meeks defeat of Hart 196-964 to 196-958. The closest federal race in 2020. You read that right, folks. That is six votes that Miller-Meeks won by. But Hart's campaign has argued that if 22 other legally cast ballots are counted, that she would win the race by nine votes rather than lose it by six. The campaign has released a couple of voter testimonies claiming that their ballots were improperly tossed because of issues with the envelopes and since the Constitution makes the House the ultimate judge of its own elections, Hart has made the unusual petition to investigate her claims and seat her instead. All right, okay. Here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to go in there and find the votes, okay? I don't care what you have to do. Just get the, the votes are there. Just go in there and find them. Republicans are outraged that she's taken her case to the friendly audience in the Democratic Glad House rather than to the courts and says it's a brazen attempt by House Speaker Pelosi to pad her razor-thin majority with an extra seat. They were complaining because Republicans wouldn't tell people that Biden just won the election on November 4th, the day after the election. That is actually not a bad thing to be outraged about either, the fact that this, I mean, this isn't going to the courts, which I'm pretty sure the courts have already told her to go and fuck herself. Because I know they've been back and forth with the courts since uh, election day, trying to figure out who actually won this razor-thin election. But now, since the courts didn't give her the answer that she wanted, and, you know, as Republicans point out in this, and as CNN points out, the House is going to be friendly to her cause because, okay, we can't lose a single vote. You know, so, we need to have all the extra we can get. They were complaining because Republicans wouldn't tell people that Biden won the election on November 4th, the day after the election. And now they're playing this game. It just doesn't add up, said Chuck Grassley, the state's long-serving GOP senator. But Democrats say there's nothing untowards about Hart using a process laid out by federal law, giving her the chance to make her case before Congress. But yet, in the presidency, you called it stealing the election. 
We can't be concerned about optics, said North Carolina rep G.K. Butterfield, who sits on the House panel considering the challenge. We've got to review the evidence and see where it leads us. Raskin, a member of the committee, downplayed how the public might view the matter if the House overturned the election. We live in a cynical, jaded time, but that doesn't mean we all have to give in to it, he said. We just have to do our jobs. So, I'm uh, barely interested to see what happens with this and what this means now coming back on the election. Because I was the understanding once this was certified, it was done, and you waited until the next election. I was to the understanding that once you were sworn into Congress, it was over. It was done. Try harder next time. Which I would encourage Hart to do, by the way. But this, I mean, if, if they actually do this, this does nothing good. This does absolutely nothing good. One of the things, I, I just, I want to go off on a slight tangent here, and I go on Quora all the time. I don't answer as much anymore because I don't have time to go back and answer the questions, but I do go on there every once in a while. They send me the Daily Digest, and one of the questions from the Daily Digest that they send me, based on the things I've answered before and the things that I've read, was somebody came out and asked, what does happen if some of these states get overturned? And we find out that Trump actually won the election and not Biden. Now, <clears throat> mainstream thought would give us the idea that Biden would be forced to step down or he would just serve out the rest of his term. That's what mainstream thought would be. But if the courts came out challenged and found that, yes, he was an illegitimate president, I think the courts would actually force him to step down. Now, Given the fact that what the courts would say and that both the president and the vice president are on the ballot at the same time with each other, conventional wisdom would say that the vice president would take over, but no, she would also be illegitimate at this point too. I think that if everything would get overturned at this point, it would go down to the next ranking member on the chain of command who was actually elected and certified. That is one Mrs. Nancy Pelosi would become the president at that point. So just keep that in mind as people keep out and try to challenge out uh, the Biden presidency, here, uh, presidency because if it does get overturned at this point, it's either Harris or Pelosi becomes the president. I'm almost 100% positive. I'm like 95% positive that's how it would work. All right, but that's what we have with that. Let's keep going. Let's talk about Rand and Fauci. Fauci says, put on four masks. You're and telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine yeah. or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, it's had not the vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let, let, let's get down to the facts. OK, the studies that you quote from Crotty and Sete look at in vitro examination of memory immunity, which in their paper, they specifically say this does not necessarily pertain to the actual protection. It's in vitro. And what study or, can you point to that shows significant let, reinfection? There are no studies that show just significant let, let, me, let me finish the response to your question, if you please. The other thing is that when you talk about reinfection and you don't 
keep in the concept of variance that's an entirely different ball game. That's a good reason for a mask. In the South African study conducted by J&J, they found that people who were infected with wild type and were exposed to the variant in South Africa, the 351, it was as if they had never been infected before. They had no protection. So when you talk about reinfection, you've got to make sure you're talking about wild type. I agree with you that you very likely would have protection from wild type for at least six months if you're infected. But we in our country now have variants that are circulating. Significant reinfection. What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine? It doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. And once again, we go back to the fact, and it's, it is a little bit uh, crude to come out and put with us, but I'm pretty sure that if you're watching this channel, that crudity doesn't really offend you at this point, but... It's the same thing if you were, like, if you're a woman and you were to take an oral contraceptive, but you would still, I mean, why would you take a contraceptive that destroys your hormones and gives you all kinds of acne if it doesn't prevent pregnancy? It's the same thing. What's going on? What is going on with this vaccine that you still have to wear the mask all the time? that gets you sick, that puts you out of commission for two days with each dose. And then you still have to mask up. You still have to worry about reinfection. What is the point of the vaccine then? Why, why are you urging everybody to go out and get this? I don't understand. I don't get it. And I've seen other people coming out and trying to come out and say that, well, the vaccine just takes care of symptoms. And I mean, it, it makes you asymptomatic, but I could still get it from some, one of you unvaccinated people and spread it out to grandma. I could still kill grandma. So we'll see what happens with that. Let's read about this particular exchange from the New York Post. Mask face-off. Rand Paul spars with Dr. Fauci at Senate hearing from Tamar Lapine. Senator Rand Paul picked a fight with Dr. Anthony Fauci on Thursday, accusing the infectious diseases expert and others who wear masks after being vaccinated against the coronavirus of doing so for theater. During a Senate hearing, Paul, an eye doctor, questioned recommendations from health specialists that people who have the vaccine should continue to wear face coverings in public. You've been vaccinated and you parade around a two masks for show, Paul told Fauci. You can't get it and there's almost 0% chance you're going to get it. And you're telling people that you have had the vaccine who have immunity. You're defying everything that we know about immunity by telling people to wear the masks who have been vaccinated, he continued. You want to get rid of the vaccine hesitancy? Tell people to quit wearing their masks after they get the vaccine, Paul added. <clears throat> In response, Fauci quipped, Here we go again with the theater. Let me... Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective, Fauci said. Paul snapped back. If you have immunity, they're theater. You already have immunity. You're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. I totally disagree with you, Fauci responded. 
Fauci, the head of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, went on to explain the masks were still necessary to protect against the variants of the virus spreading around the country. He agreed it was unlikely that someone would get infected with the original COVID strain for at least six months after receiving the shot, but we in our country now have variants. We're not dealing with the static situation of the same virus, Fauci said. The heated exchange came a little over a week after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released new recommendations saying that people who are fully vaccinated can gather indoors with others who have the jab without masks or social distancing. So that's what they had to say about that little exchange. You guys got to hear it for yourselves rather than reading it in the New York Post. And uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? <clears throat> All right. I have one here that particularly annoyed me here. Um, Aaron Rupar tweets out, there's an old saying in Texas about the rope in Texas and the tall oak tree. You know, take or we take justice very seriously, and we ought to do that. Round up the bad guys. Here's Rep. Chip Roy glorifying the lynchings during the hearing on violence against Asian Americans. Because anytime you hear about the rope, it's got to be about black people. Let's have a listen. Of race -based, the, um, the victims of race-based violence uh, and their families deserve justice. And as the case, what we're talking about here with the tragedy, what we just saw occur in Atlanta, Georgia. I would also suggest that the victims of cartels moving illegal aliens deserve justice. The American citizens in South Texas that are getting absolutely decimated by what's happening at our southern border deserve justice. The victims of rioting and looting in the streets last week, businesses closed, burned last, I'm sorry, last summer, deserve justice. Um, we did, we believe in justice, right? There's old sayings in Texas about, you know, find the, all the rope in Texas and get a tall oak tree. Uh, you know, we take justice very seriously and, and we ought to do that. Uh, round up the bad guys. That's what we believe. Um, my concern about this hearing is that it seems to want to venture into the policing of rhetoric in a free society, free speech, um, and away from the rule of law and taking out bad guys. And honestly, yeah, I mean, if somebody's going to go out and do the hate crime and kill somebody based on their race, then yes, they should absolutely face justice in whatever way it is. And if that justice is capital punishment, then it's capital punishment. But it's it's not a race thing to pull out the rope. It's that was not a unique form of capital punishment to black people. It wasn't. And Aaron Rupert needs to look through his history. But, you know, that the history doesn't go along with the narrative out there. Let's see what else he had to say here, because he said other stupid shit. And as a former federal prosecutor, I'm kind of predisposed and wired to want to go take out bad guys. And that's bad guys of all colors. That's bad guys of all persuasions. That's bad guys targeting people uh, for all different reasons. And, and I think we need to, 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 to be mindful of that. And so now we're talking about whether talking about China, the Chai Coms, the Chinese Communist Party, whatever phrasing we want to use. And if some people are saying, hey, we think those guys are the bad guys for whatever reason. And let me just say clearly, I do. I think the Chinese Communist Party running the country of China, I think they're the bad guys. And I think that they are harming people. And I think they are 
engaging in modern day slavery. And I think that what they're doing to the Uyghurs and I think that what they're doing targeting our country and I think that what they're doing to undermine our national security and what they're doing to steal our intellectual property and what they're doing to build up their military and rattle uh, throughout uh, the Pacific, I think it's patently evil and deserving of condemnation. And I think that what they did to hide the reality of this virus is equally deserving of condemnation. Um, with that last part, I don't know where that actually fit in because the hearing was supposed to be about the violence against Asian Americans, the, the unique threat that Donald Trump put out in front of us. Uh, that's what it was supposed to be. That, that was kind of a tangent off of that, but just that and the fact that, you know, what we saw in the beginning of that was, you know, like I said, it's, if you... If every time you use capital punishment, you equate it to black people, what does that say about your thoughts about black people? Aaron Rupar, I'm asking you that. Of course, he's never going to answer me, but I'm asking. All right, let's keep going here. I got one archived from Forbes. A little bit of good news here. Asian Americans are buying guns for protection from hate crimes. From Aaron Smith. Asian Americans are buying guns to protect themselves amid a spike in anti-Asian hate crimes fueled by the coronavirus pandemic. That first paragraph in this article, we can just eliminate that because that is pure, unadulterated bullshit. There are more Asians being introduced to firearms, said Jimmy Gong, the owner of Jimmy's Sports Shop in Mineola, New York. Before, there was never a gun culture in the Asian community, but after the pandemic and all the hate crimes going on, there are more Asians buying guns to defend themselves. Good. Well, good. Gong said his gun sales have doubled during the pandemic, and about half of his business comes from Asian Americans who also buy lots of pepper spray. Well, that's a start, I guess. A mass shooting in Atlanta area has placed a grisly spotlight. On anti-Asian violence, eight people, including six women of Asian descent, were shot to death in a rampage at three spas on Tuesday. Robert Aaron Long, who's been charged with the murders, said he was motivated by sex addiction and that it wasn't about racial targeting. According to police, but the fact that most of his victims were Asian wasn't lost on anybody. Hate crimes against Asian Americans surged 149% in 2020, while overall hate crimes fell 7%, according to a study based on police statistics by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University. I'm sure that's completely unbiased. In California State University, San Bernardino. Yeah, I'm sure that's unbiased. The researchers found that the hate crime spiked in March and April of 2020 amidst a rise in COVID cases and negative stereotyping of Asians relating to the pandemic. During the anti-Asian hate crime spree, Asian Americans have become more, a uh, more familiar sight in gun shops as they mingle among the millions of Americans who are buying guns for the first time. We have lots of Asian American customers buying guns, said Jerry Huang, a salesman at Wade's Eastside Guns in Bellevue, Washington. They're coming because of the pandemic and the riots and people messing with stores and messing with people's properties. They said they're buying semi-automatic pistols and rifles. Wait, hold on. Hold on. I thought semi-automatic rifles were the evilest among evil. And every time you pull the trigger on a semi-automatic rifle, 10 million people in the U.S. die. 
Just one trigger pull. 10 million people instantly dead. <clears throat> Which have a proven uh, popular rather in gun stores across the country as sales have surged to record heights during the pandemic. They're buying basic Glocks and AR-15s basically for self-defense, he said. Well, good. I don't care what gets you out to the gun store. Get out to the fucking gun store. That's where you need to be. Because this government doesn't give a fuck about you. The police are more and more corrupt as we go, especially in the inner city departments. The county stuff, we can still usually keep them somewhat in check. Because the county sheriff is usually directly beholden to us, the voter, rather than the mayor or the city planner. We can generally keep the county police in check, but the city police don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about freedom. They'll put you in a cage for a simple drug crime. Good. Get out there. Get another gun. Whatever your reason is, just get one. As far as the anti-Asian hate crimes thing, I'm going to need to see a lot more statistics about that because... Trust me, in the wake of BLM, if this was actually a thing, then we'd have been hearing a lot more about this. All right, so that's what we have for that. Let's keep going. I got just a few more, then we'll do the live chat. If you guys want to get those last messages in and you're just lurking, make sure you get a, um, at least one message in so I can properly thank you as we go along here from the New York Post. New lies about Hunter Biden's laptop and other commentary. This is from the Post editorial board. So this is technically an op-ed, but I wanted to just go in a little bit about this. And then I do have a news story about this as well. But let's uh, go briefly through this here. Journalists with major companies outright lied to perhaps millions on Twitter when they claimed a new report from the Director of National Intelligence confirmed that Russia engineered last fall a story reported by the Post but censored by social media about emails found on Hunter Biden's laptop, observes Glenn Greenwald at his Substack page. Hey, New York Post and everyone else who got suckered into the ridiculous Hunter Biden laptop story, take a bow, tweeted HuffPost White House correspondent S.V. Date. Yet the report on foreign threats to the 2020 election actually made no mention of the Hunter story, nor did it even offer any evidence for its assessments. And though some journalists were shamed into acknowledging the falsity of the claim, many refused, causing the lie to keep spreading. Who gaslights the gaslighters? White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, of course, quips Grace Curley at Spectator USA. The liars are being lied to, and it's a sight to behold example. Saki asserting that Team Biden has a handle on the overwhelming influx of illegals at the southern border when the number of unaccompanied minors in Border Patrol custody is at an all-time high. Even far-left news outlets are pushing back on the claim that President Biden inherited a broken system from his predecessor since the surge came after Biden's administration reversed a number of Trump-era policies. For four years, the press treated American people like credulous morons, and now the BS artists are being served malarkey. Well, what a well-deserved comeuppance. Libertarian. The steep price of Joe's tax hikes. President Biden's plan to tax uh, hike taxes on individuals and corporations to offset another splurge of government spending would cost the nation a large number of jobs and lower wages for workers, warns Reasons Eric Bream. Every dollar the federal government drains from the economy is a dollar that cannot be used to grow a business or pay workers. The corporate tax hike alone would reduce long-term economic growth 
by about 0.8% kill 159,000 jobs and reduce wages, yet the Biden administration seems determined to lock in the symbolic win of undoing 2017's tax cuts, even if it means making things even harder for Americans as they emerge from the pandemic. So that's that's a little bit of what they have going on in the op-ed here. I want to focus on the Hunter story here. So let's look at MS, I'm sorry, Fox News talking about MSDNC. MSDNC's Chris Hayes, other liberal pundits called out for misleading tweets about Hunter Biden laptop. From Brian Flood. A pair of high-profile liberal journalists were mocked Tuesday after inaccurately claiming a declassified intelligence assessment proved Hunter Biden's infamous laptop came from Russians trying to meddle in the 2020 election when the director of national intelligence made no such claim. The ODNI released the declassified assessment of foreign threats to the election pursuant to the Intelligence Authorization Act. The document didn't reveal anything related to salacious materials on Biden's laptop that was reported by the New York Post, but that didn't stop liberal journalists from jumping to false conclusions. MSDNC host Chris Hayes shared a tweet that declared the report confirmed the Hunter Biden story came from the Kremlin, writing, the same dudes who ran the play the last time. This tweet is absolutely false. The report does not even mention the Hunter Biden laptop or the documents reported on, let alone allege that it came from Russia, let alone provide proof of this. This tweet is disinformation. Journalist Glenn Greenwald responded. HuffPo White House correspondent S.B. Date wrote, Hey, New York Post and everyone else who got suckered into the ridiculous Hunter Biden laptop story, take a bow. And added a portion of the intelligence report that noted Russian intelligence published disparaging content about President Biden, his family, and the Democratic Party, and heavily amplified related content circulating in U.S. media, including stories centered on his son. The tweet is disinformation, ODNI reported, says nothing about the laptop, which Hunter Biden hasn't even denied dropping off at the repair shop, Daily Caller reporter Chuck Ross wrote about Date's message. Hayes and Date both made the recently announced Ruthless Podcast second annual Liberal Hack Tournament, where the conservatives vote on in an NCAA tournament-style contest to determine the biggest Liberal Hack of the year. Hayes is a number six seed, while Date is relegated to play in uh, to a play-in matchup. But the East face backlash for their tweets that could resonate with voters. Hayes eventually backtracked and deleted the tweet. But the internet is forever, so. Yeah, they're coming out here, and I mean, we're going to continue to hear this. Oh, it was Russia. It was Russia that Trump almost won, and the fact that Biden didn't get 535 electoral votes. It was all Russia. They're just trying to smear Joe Biden because they want their puppet, Donald Trump, to stay in forever. And it's... that Gross. But that's what we have for that. All right. From Politico... You remember how Democrat politicians, like the ones that are in control of the House, spent all summer saying ACAB, all cops are bastards, and the A is all. All cops are bastards, according to these people. Well, the House approves awarding Congressional Gold Medal to Capitol Police for January 6th response. From Benjamin Din and Nick, needs what... Needs Wydak? I don't know. 
The House of Representatives on Wednesday passed legislation to award the U.S. Capitol Police with Congress's highest honor for its service during the January 6th riot, despite Republicans jockeying to soften the language in the bill. Do I need to remind you that the Capitol Police were letting people into the fucking Capitol? The bill passed by the House on a vote of 413-12 to 12 would authorize creation of three medals, one each for display at Capitol Police Headquarters, the Capitol City's Metropolitan Police Department Headquarters, and by the Smithsonian, as well as duplicates of the award, it now heads to the Senate where it is expected to pass. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced plans in early February to, to bestow the Congressional Gold Medal to Capitol Police and other law enforcement officers who responded to the... It's not an insurrection! which resulted in pro-Trump mob overtaking the complex. They didn't overtake anything. And grinding Congress to a halt as members and their staff sequestered themselves for safety. Earlier on Wednesday, some Republicans expressed unhappiness over the bill's language, which described the Capitol as the temple of our American democracy. Uh, it's all a fucking religion at this point, and labeled the attackers as a mob of insurrectionists. The competing bill circulating by Louis Gohmert named the fallen officers but made no mention of the January 6th or the Capitol attack, according to a copy obtained by Politico. After the vote, Representative Matt Gates said the bill passed was offensive because it included these editorial comments. About the January 6th sequence of events, he added that he didn't like the fact that it included an exhibit of the Smithsonian. Representative Thomas Massey said he disagreed with the description of the Capitol and worried that the insurrection label could be used by prosecutors. There it is, right there. Because now it's enshrined into law that it was an insurrection, so now, now that some of these people are actually facing down charges for this, this makes it a lot easier for an ambitious prosecutor to come out and say, See, Congress called an insurrection. Hey, judge. Hey, let's put these people to death, because they tried to insurrect against the government. The temple of our democracy. And once again, and I've pointed this out numerous times, they say all cops are bastards, but they don't mean that. They like the cops they can control. It's not that they don't want to have police, it's that they want to have their police. You see? The local city guy who saw a man with several outstanding warrants pull a knife on him and shot the man he, he's bad. But the Capitol Police that are controlled by the federal government, you know, those guys are great. And yet the fence stays up around the National Guard. By the way, don't you, uh, don't you guys remember, and I can't believe I haven't heard more about this on the news, but tomorrow's the day. Do you guys trust the plan yet? Tomorrow's the day. The MAGA people are going to go take over the Capitol again. And the real, the real inauguration is going to come here. I wonder what their excuse is going to be this time. And what date they're going to push it back out to. Don't forget that tomorrow's the day. Alright, a couple more here and then we'll do live chat. From Yahoo Finance, a fourth stimulus check might be on the way. From Courtney Johnston. With the third round of stimulus checks beginning to hit taxpayers' bank accounts this week, many are wondering if there will be a fourth round of stimulus payments. 
The American Rescue Plan was uh, signed by President Biden last Thursday in an effort to provide financial relief to individuals, businesses, and communities hit hardest by the coronavirus. This marked another round of stimulus checks, the third since the pandemic first hit last year. According to Politico, some Democratic members of Congress do not feel a third stimulus check is enough. A little bit closer to UBI, just, well, we're going to send you another one here. Hey, maybe it'll come out next month, and the month after that, and the month after. Two months before the new relief package was signed, 50 Democratic members of the House of Representatives signed a letter asking President Biden to prioritize recurring direct checks instead of a one-time stimulus payment. Here it comes. The letter published by Politico states, another one-time round of checks would provide a temporary lifeline, but when that money runs out, families will once again struggle to pay for basic necessities. One more check is not enough during the public health and economic crisis. If you opened everything back up and people could go to work, then they would not have a one-time check. But here comes that government money. The problem, of course, with this is the fact that they shot their fucking wad on the one budget reconciliation they get. They got one. They shot their fucking wad on it. And they're not going to be able to pull it off again without selling uh, Republicans on it. They're going to try, but they're not going to be able to uh, to do this once again. But they're going to try, and they're going to try and get people coming out. And their progressive simp- uh, sycophants coming out and saying, UBI, UBI. Meanwhile, Andrew Yang sits up in New York and spouts off various New York platitudes to try and come out and say, Come on, guys, I'm a real New Yorker. Sits back and looks at this and says, What the fuck, man? I was saying this shit before it was cool. Let me try and break a banana off the bunch in my anger. In the bodega, that's actually a grocery store. So, we're prepared for that fight to come back up here. Alright, last one. Then we'll head on out of here. Well, no, we'll do live chat, then we'll head on out of here. They are finally putting the Rush Limbaugh program to bed. I have enjoyed the analysis and the reruns. I really have. But it is time to let the man rest. And he will be cited for a long time to come, even if they take his show off the air at this point. But he does have a new person coming on to his time slot here, according to Fox News. Dan Bongino to take over Rush Limbaugh's radio time slot. From Joseph A. Wolfzone. Cumulus Media's Westwood One announced on Wednesday that Dan Bongino will be launching a new radio show during the time slot left vacant by conservative talk radio icon Rush Limbaugh. The program, The Dan Bongino Show, will broadcast 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time in select markets starting on May 24th, including KABC Los Angeles, WLS Chicago, WBAP Dallas, KSFO San Francisco, and WMAL Washington, D.C. The Dan Bongino Show will tackle uh, tackle the hot political issues, debunking both liberal and Republican establishment rhetoric. The press release described he's not going to make it. I'm sorry, he's not going to make it in the rush slot. Just by that, debunking both liberal and Republican establishment rhetoric, that's not going to make it in the 12 to 3 time slot that Rush Limbaugh said. And do you know why? I can tell you why. That's not going to make it. 
that he's not going to be able to do this like this because as much as I did sit down and listen to what Rush had to say, Rush was notorious for kneeling down in front of whoever the most powerful Republican was at the time. And he adapted as he went along, but he he sucked off Mitt Romney, he sucked off fucking W, he sucked off HW. And to have somebody come out and work against the establishment. The only reason he was working against the establishment at the end was because Donald Trump wasn't the establishment and he was sticking it to HW and W and Romney and McCain. But remember, when Rush was on the air at the time, these people were fucking saints. But we'll see what Dan Bongino does. I mean, I'll give him a listen at least, so I am absolutely willing I can't judge Bongino until I've actually listened to him. I've never listened to Bongino on anything. But I guess we'll see what happens with this, and we'll see what he does to take over. And now the time comes to do my favorite part of this, and that's to thank all you guys who came back and chatted in the live chat throughout the week here. So you've got one last chance to get your last-minute messages in. We'll scroll up to the top so we get no spoilers up off of this here. But we'll start from last week. Starting on Monday, on Monday, we had uh, Chilaga, 1984, Nephilim Ninja, of Nibiru was here, Ron Helton came in, Giles Corey, 1692, I've seen that name in and out of here a couple times before, so thanks for coming in and hanging out. Quest Fanning was here, and we had a detractor over on DLive, uh, LOLHUU3, came in and said that nobody was watching this because nobody fucking uses DLive anymore. DLive is becoming way too much like YouTube. And I got the email. I haven't read the new terms of service on DLive yet, but I got the email this morning. So I'm going to sit down and look through that and see just how much they've come, become like YouTube. Right now, I am taking the words of the already conservative as gospel because he has read it. I have not, and he mentioned it on his show last night. But uh, yeah, it sounds like they are trying to become more cucked like YouTube is. But there are very few people watching over there on the DLive side, and uh, probably for very good reason. And I'm still mon not monetized anyway. And the dude, bless his heart, came in and says, Well, just have fun. Don't complain about people who are taking away from evil rich people and give them to the good, honest, honorable, poor people. Well, thanks for the view anyway, dude. All right. On Tuesday, we had Silent Caster was here. Harvey McLeod came in, and we all got to say congratulations to her. Quest Fanning showed up. Shilaga1984 was here. Our resident from the other side of the world, Mad Cow Mark, came in and hung out with us. Nephilim Ninja of Nibiru was here. Ron Helton was here. And Nailbender popped in for one message. So thank you, Nailbender. And make sure you guys go check out the Gilded and all the hard work he put in over there so we can get start to get that moving and start to wean ourselves up off of the Discord side because you know, Discord's kind of gravelled too. On Wednesday, we had Quest Fanning. Death Priest was in here. You and me, who was only in here last Wednesday, too, so I guess he must only be able to view on Wednesdays, but thank you for that. Silent Castro was here. Chilaga1984. Nephilim Joe Nibiru. Ron Helton was here. R. Volt was here. Plus, of course, we've got to thank the bots. Do you want bigfollows.com? We had MVOBA2, followed by five zeros and 76, and SCACML Pete36. Both want us to have, both want us to get famous. 
BigFollows.com. On Thursday, yesterday, we had Mark White under his uh, different YouTube name, and then he came in under the one that we know, Mad Cow Mark, was in here under two accounts. That's two views, so thank you for that, by the way. That bumps the numbers up and helps me overcome the uh, Google algorithm that's holding my YouTube channel down. Maybe we'll monetize. Maybe I'll go back and turn the monetization on. No, I'm not going to turn that back on. If you guys want to watch commercials, you can go watch Network TV. I'm not going to make you watch a commercial on this program before you come in and watch my program. I'm not going to make you do that. We have Subscribestar. If you guys want me to have money, we have Subscribestar. Uh, Ron Helton was here on DLive and Trovo, by the way. Thank you for that. And the Trovo is uh, up and running. I can see that down there. It looks like everything's running smoother today than it has been in the past. Uh, Chilaga1984 was here. Nephilim Ninja of Nibiru was with us. Goyim Rising Up 55 wanted me to talk about population control, but, you know, I don't just open up links on the air because I don't vet them and... You know, something could just come up and start saying the N-word over and over again. Silent Caster was here. Quest Fanning was here. Let's see what you guys are saying today. Rotten Helton is over on the Trovo side. Says, morning. Quest is first. Nope, you missed it by one, Ron Helton. Morning Quest was Ron Helton. Chilaga was third. Let's see. Where did you voyage? Where did you voyage, Chilaga? Chalaga says, thanks. As I approached Chicago from Iowa, I could fear the tyrannical chains being placed back on me. Yeah, I always say the same thing. Like when I went down to uh, Illinois yesterday, I crossed over the border at Beloit, and I'm like, oh, shit, my taxes just went up. It was nice to experience normal, non-masked life in Iowa. Ron says, I don't think I could live in a major city ever again. Houston and Dallas were enough for me, and driving in Mexico City and L.A. is awful. Yeah, try Boston once. Apparently, gas is below three bucks a gallon in Oklahoma, where it was briefly up. My tank went from 30 to 50 to fill up. I'm not even, I'm afraid to see what happens when I go to fill up next time, especially, I should actually probably go top off at some point. I'm at, I'm at a half a tank right now, but a tank of gas lasts me like a month and a half. Because I live five miles from work, and uh, I've got a 33-gallon tank on my truck. So that's going to be, if this goes up any higher, an easy $100 bill to fill back up. Whereas it was 30 every stop that I stopped at going down to Florida. Because in some places, especially on the eastern seaboard, it was below a dollar a gallon in some places. Most of Georgia was below a dollar a gallon on the way down there. Um, let's see, Ron says it's 278 today. Yeah, I hope it drops back below two bucks. We need some real economic stimulus. Yeah, that would be nice. That actually would stimulate the economy too, more than just handing out another fucking check willy-nilly. Drop the gas prices. Quest says, sorry to be selfish, but if gas goes up, it's likely fracking will reopen in North Dakota. Then I'll pay my student loans the old-fashioned way. No debt forgiveness needed. I live in Brooklyn, but my family has oil and mineral rights on family homestead in North Dakota. Well, that would be cool, though. Quest says, Biden being a freaking idiot denigrated his candidacy. Yeah, that it did. I got hairy legs. Jen Saki, air traffic control's worst nightmare. Well, we'll circle back to that. 
Experience the new Reuters or experience hemorrhoids. Thank you, Quest. <laughs> Reuters rolled over like roadkill for the U.S. government after the reporters were murdered by U.S. forces. Collateral damage, amazing anybody would work for a company that does not fight for them. Well, that's, that is amazing. Neff says in Russia, how you say president is in charge? Fuck it, I'll do it live. Chilaga says Putin's response was akin to fifth grade retort. He who smelt it. Absolutely. Silent Caster says Trump's out of office. Yay, we have a bunch of powerful Asian nations that hate us again. Unity. We're united in bombing everybody. Yeah, we'll get there. Ron Helen says fire Austin. What a dumbass warmongering piece of, a piece of filth. Also says, Democrats love big war. Wilson, FDR, Truman, Johnson, Clinton, Hillary Clinton. Uh, let's see. We've got some complaints about the AstraZeneca vaccine. DLive is censoring Ron Helton stickers. Silent Caster says, only if it's a Democrat talking about when you can challenge the election. Didn't you read the fine print in the Constitution? There's a little asterisk they put in there. I have not seen that part in the Constitution. I have read the Constitution. I have not seen that part. Ron says, I don't think so. They're talking about removing a member and putting another one in who was declared the loser. Ergo, they would have to put in the real winner of the election, Donald Trump. But no. Biden knows the real winner. Nothing bad happened on the election of 2020, and Biden is the most popular president who got the most votes ever, honk. Neff says, my doctor said yesterday I was he was immune, so I didn't need to worry about wearing a mask in front of him alone. Not that I was worried. Ron says, they're trying to keep the charade going indefinitely. Fauci likes the spotlight. Fire that jackass. And Silent Caster pointed out that he was just sitting there smirking, which he was. Neff says, if anyone's allowed to take off the mask, we all men win, rather. They can't have that. Exactly. Rooftop Koreans for the win. Thank you, Arvolt. Silent Caster went from zero to three guns this year. Mazel tov. Huzzahs are in order. Arvolt bought his first AR on Monday. Mazel tov. Huzzahs are in order. Uh, Ron says, I didn't know the Perseverance rover had something called Moxie Instrument. It's from MIT, converting Martian CO2 to oxygen. That's interesting. I have a garden sitting over there on the shelf in my bedroom that converts CO2 into oxygen. Arvold says, if Trump was a Nazi, then this is the worst Reich ever. Neff says, Arvolt is right about that. I like that. Ron Helton says, Bondo is an ex-cop. Can't think of anything you would have to say that would make me listen to the show. I'll, I'll give it a listen. I will. Because I'm not going to judge it until I know what's in there. Uh, Ron says, the email basically says they can censor you just because. So basically YouTube standards, yep. Oh, the lemons are back on my stream. Well, I have no idea what anybody's sending because I'm watching YouTube and Trobo. Over here, so I guess I'll put DLive on my other tablet here. See if I can put DLive on my other tablet. 
and then I can see the lemons because I don't really need to watch the YouTube stream. I would rather sit back and watch the uh, DLive and Trobo because those are the ones that are most likely to monetize. So uh, apparently Ron sent me a bunch of lemons. So thank you for that. I didn't see that. Wish they could get the Trobo chat connected. Yeah, I'll figure that out. Suburban has a 32-gallon tank. Quest says, it's going to be test driving an American manufactured Subaru Outback that gets 29 to 36 today. It'll be more than twice as good as my old Mazda 5. Yeah, I get like 20 on the highway and I get like 13 just going back and forth to work because it's like five miles of stop and go. Chilaka says, my dad was telling me about that Iowa overturn election story. Crazy, didn't get a chance to ask any of the locals about it. Uh, Quest, are you going for the XT? That's the last question here. And Ron says, yes, I have a few plants in my house to make some oxygen. And that is going to be it for the day here. So thank you guys. Let's get uh, let's get some music up here and let's get the hell out of here. All right, so we are going to head on out of here for the day. Thanks everybody who came by and chatted with me today. I'm going to throw a little bit of breakfast down and get my sorry ass to work because I got to still go and make some money here and got some people out as well. So it's going to be a day as of right now. I have no plans for a weekend stream because I still, I didn't get to go to my mom and dad's last weekend. So I'm probably going to go this weekend here, but I do want to sit down on a weekend stream and talk about uh, the vaccine and what the plans are. Get your input off this. Maybe do a call-in show. Maybe not. Maybe get a panel up here. So that could possibly be happening up here in the near future, but definitely want to sit back and talk about that. But thanks everybody who came by. Once again, make sure you go and check out the Freedom Scoop Media Group. Bookmark the page. We will be premiering on April 17th. Mark your calendars. That is going to be the day of the 24-hour suicide prevention stream. I've got some great guests lined up for that, too. I am so excited for this to come out here. Very excited. Thank you once again to my producer, Pepe Le Pew, sitting back up here in the corner. Still haven't adjusted my uh, aspect ratio on the regular stream, but uh, he hasn't been in the shot all show, but he will be back up in the shot coming up here on Monday. Come and join me on Monday for more contemporary, or come back and join me later on Monday night for the Red Net Show as well. That's always a blessing. It's always a great thing, and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about, including police stuff, some shootings, and the war stuff as well. With as anti-war as my co-host is, that's definitely going to be a great conversation. Looking forward to seeing you there. Otherwise, we'll be back here for more Contemporary on Monday. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.